For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Uh, at Rainstop Pod. Uh, don't forget to visit our website, rainstoppod.com. No, it's Rainstop Play Pod. Mate, I keep getting them mixed. I keep doing the wrong right. usernames. Either it's Rainstop Pod, Rainstop Play Pod, or Rainstop Play. Don't forget, before we get into this, you can follow us on Twitter at Rainstop Pod and visit our website, Rainstop Pod. Oh, f- <laughs> off. <laughs> I'm going to record it later and, and chip it. Let's start. <laughs> And welcome to Rain Stop Play. We are here today to review the fourth and final test between England and India. And as you can hear, I'm a lot more chipper this week. Despite England losing, I, I've, I've come to terms with the whole thing and there'll be less, less shouting and less anger from me. Let's hear from the rest of the panel first. Will, how are you? Yeah, I'm very good. It sounds like you've reached the last stage of grief, Dan. <laughs> I did. On, I think it was Saturday morning because <laughs> so I didn't tell you this before, but Saturday morning I got up quite late because I couldn't be bothered to watch the cricket and as I turned it on, literally as I pressed channel four, Lawrence got bowled and that was all I saw of Saturday's play. So that, that was the end for me. So yeah, I'm at the end of grief now. Uh Glenn, how are you? Yeah, all right. A little bit a little bit sad about the way things ended, but uh taking pride in that early win, you know, drawing the positives. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're in an earlier stage of grief than I am. <laughs> Absolutely brutal. Um Zach, where would you say you are in the, the stages of grief? I feel like I kind of was at a pretty late stage last week when I just decided to disengage from the pitch discourse. Yeah, and I know, I know it angered you, but you just, I just, you just decided to, No, I just decided to disengage from it. I feel like I've just remembered something we mentioned in our preview pod that we thought England might win one test and we'd like them to have won it early so it wasn't, you know, already 3-0 by the time they won it. So they did that for us. So thank you, Joe Root. Thank you to the rest of the team as well. Looking back at our predictions as well, congratulations, Will and Glenn. You both said 3-1, so kudos. I don't, you don't win, I think, but, you know, well done. Uh, Zach with the funniest prediction of 2-0, thinking there are going to be two draws out on those Indian pitches. But I okay, you weren't to know, Zach, you weren't to know. Uh, okay, right, before we go into the fourth and final test uh, review and, and have a look at the whole series, we must start with some news because lots has gone on since we last spoke to you a week ago. Um, we'll start in New Zealand. Um, they won their T20 series 3-2. So Australia won the third and fourth after we after we spoke last week. Carl Jamieson watch for uh, we're all IPL fans. I hope you are at home as well. Uh, averaging 175 with the ball, um, a pretty miserable series for him. He was dropped for the fifth and final game as well. So RCB fans, have you spent too much money? Um, yes, probably. Let's hope not. We like him at the start and let's hope he gets a bit better. Uh, so they won that one 3-2. Um, England women are doing excellent stuff. They were also in New Zealand. They won their ODI series 2-1. They won their T20 series 3-0. Tammy Beaumont in the process, becoming the number one batsman in the world. Uh, she had 71, 72 not out and 88 not out in those three ODIs. So very impressive stuff from her. And England looking in really good shape for the World Cup. Also, they've had an exciting game against India announced. Um, Will, they're playing a test match, I believe. Yeah, they are. They should set to play at some point later this year. Not confirmed yet, but... Um, should be, yeah, over in the English summer at roughly the same time as the men's, um, which will be their first test match for the England women in, in quite a few years now. So that's that's exciting news. Very exciting. And that would be that would be great if it coincides with the, the men's tour as well. Um, Zach, the PSL has been suspended. Big news that broke last week. Um, what's going on? What happened? And will it come back this year or, or is that toast to the whole tournament? Well, will it come back this year is the big question. First thing I want to say is this incident has been compared in how it may affect the way that players and touring sides view visiting Pakistan to the the terrorist incident of 2009 in how big the ramifications may be. And there's lots of talk about it around the world and about how it's going to really affect the the fact that touring sides are meant to be visiting Pakistan in the next couple of weeks. 
sorry, next couple of years, not the next couple of weeks. <laughs> All of them are <laughs> All of them are going in the next two weeks. But yeah, so what happened was so bear with me on this. This might this might <laughs> I'll try and make it brief. So Farid Ahmed, <laughs> Farid Ahmed felt ill. The, the Australian spinner, Farid Ahmed, felt ill on the Saturday the 27th. But he wasn't given a test because he said he had stomach pain, which doesn't count as a COVID symptom. And it wasn't until the next evening, 9pm the next evening, he was given a test and then he tested positive. But in the meantime... During that time, lots of his close contacts, including Hassan Ali, because uh, they, they both play for Islamabad United, so they've got a lot of questions to answer. He, they, he attended a birthday party that was in the hotel, so the birthday party was allowed because everyone's bubbling in the same hotel, for Azar Mahmood, the Molten Sultan's bowling coach, fast bowling coach. And it, they were obviously in a room together, the close contacts, and then he he tested positive. So, you know, then the next day, lots of people who'd been at the party, including pod favourite Barbara Zam, played a game, you know, and then mixed with more people. And the the people who were at the party weren't told to isolate. There's contrasting reports as to whether the rest of his team were told to isolate when he was meant to have a test or when he first fell ill. He isolated, so Farid Ahmed isolated immediately as soon as he fell ill. But supposedly his team were told to some people say, some people say they weren't told to, but Hassan Ali was at this party, so he wasn't isolating. Yeah, so basically, Islamabad United are blaming the PSL. The PSL are blaming Islamabad United. It seems that it's kind of fallen through the cracks as to who was responsible for the track and trace. And also, they kind of, the PSL seemed to decide that testing negative twice overrules anything else that happened, even though obviously the incubation period for COVID is a week. Sometimes it takes a week for you to test positive after you've had contact with someone. Sometimes it takes longer. So the fact that they were just saying, you know, two tests, you're fine, is um, a bit poor in their, you know, on their part. And also it's been already notified that if the PSL does come back in May or June is when it's meant to be meant to happen, it will be outsourced. That track and tracing stuff will be outsourced to someone else. So it's someone else's problem, basically. Because that always so... goes well. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, don't let's not talk about uh outsourcing track and trace system. <laughs> Maybe they'll outsource the track and trace system and play at the nudie crown Matt Hancock Arena that we that we <laughs> gave last week. Maybe they can kind of tie those two things together. I don't know. Um that's interesting though, because the PSL was obviously broken up last year out of their control and slightly in their control, it's also gonna have to be split up as well. I for one am gonna miss the sponsorships at the PSL. I've spoken about this for many minutes. Um, but you know, the Brighto paint colourful drive, the Gillette close shave, you know, all of that good stuff is unfortunately going to be lost out for the next couple of months. So hopefully that comes back. Uh, in other franchise cricket news, Will, the IPL fixtures have been announced. That was literally just after the, the test series finished because they knew roughly where the calendar needed to be. What are the headlines coming out of that? And if you can, again, somewhat like the PSL, try and explain what the hell's going on with locations, who's playing where, the the, the sort of the bubbles of it all, try and break it down for us. Yeah, I'll try my best. Again, it's similarly a bit of a mess, and I do wonder whether, having announced this just after the PSL disaster, someone in the BCCI is uh, starting to question whether or not this is a great idea, because rather than do what was very successful in terms of not really getting any COVID cases for last season's IPL, where they had it obviously staged across two cities, uh, they've expanded this. They bring it back to India and giving it to six different cities, Interestingly, five of them belong to, t to teams which already have IPL teams. So we're starting off in Chennai and Mumbai. But despite that, no one's allowed to play at home. So we're going to Chennai and Mumbai first, and all of the teams are going to go to two bubbles in those cities. Then Ahmedabad in Delhi. Then to Bengaluru and Kolkata. Then for some reason, back to Ahmedabad for the knockouts in the final. Uh, and to preserve because there's three teams who don't have their city in it to preserve the neutrality. Nobody's allowed to play at home, um, which I guess feels barely better than just doing it as normal from a COVID perspective. But <laughs> I suppose yeah. it reduces travel a little bit. Um, I do kind of feel like it sounds like a recipe for disaster, given what's happened in the PSL bubble system. And that the more complex you make these kind of arrangements, the more likely it is that players will breach the bubbles or lose track of the rules or do what was it Jofra did in the Pakistan series in the English summer where he just, just nipped, nip home nip home to Hove in the travel period 
that seems like it's bound to happen at some stage here. But I mean, there we go. We've got our start date now. We know the system. So let's see what happens. Surely, though, the reason they're not letting them do it in their home cities is so they don't pop home. That's what I was thinking. I suppose a lot of the players obviously aren't necessarily from the city they play for, though. So that kind of, you know, solves that problem. That's such a fascinating little system they've come up with. And you're right, Will. It sounds to me like they've, it's pretty much normal, but with a couple of like COVID words in there, such as bubble and, you know, safe zone or, you know, whatever that is in the lexicon now for the past year. But why don't they just, why didn't they just keep it in Abu Dhabi? I, this is probably quite ignorant of me because it's it, one of India's biggest tournaments. Why, they, why didn't they just keep it in Abu Dhabi, says some guy in Birmingham. Um, <laughs> but what, why haven't they? It was such a success, as you said. Um, no COVID tests for that, uh, no positive COVID tests. Um, for that whole tournament was fantastic, and we're we're in a we're in a position where we're not quite there yet with COVID. And six months is a different story. But why didn't they just keep it in Abu Dhabi? Yeah, I, I kind of agree, and I think part of it is that you know not just from an Indian perspective, but probably all countries in the world are feeling quite bullish about COVID at the moment because of the situation we have with declining cases and vaccines starting to come through. So I think they probably see it as in a few months' time they can probably get away with it. And obviously, from just a kind of you know pride and optics perspective they want it to be in india that makes a lot of sense and obviously the financials they've said that from at least for the first phase which is a fairly meaningless term and they haven't said what that means but for the first phase there are gonna be no fans but i think that pretty obviously implies that they're doing it in all of these indian stadiums and in particularly in the new ground whose name we don't say in Ahmedabad, that's hosting the final i think they want to get a hundred thousand people in there and, and that'll be a good paycheck for somebody <laughs> Wow, it will be. And I, I was amazed about the India fans that were in the stadium for the fourth test. And we spoke about this before we started recording and they were just kind of, it, it's gone over there. Very, very bullish, as you said. They're just sort of going, OK, let's just get them in. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on over there. Yeah, it definitely feels like a weird decision to have fans for the test matches, but then not at all for the biggest domestic competition in the world. Um but probably just, just leave, it, leave it for two weeks or however long this last test was and then get them in for the IPL, which I don't know, probably what they prefer. Again, I don't know. Yeah. And I, and I think, again, it comes back to the pandemic. There's a great line in a news article I read about this, which just starts, quote, despite a, a surge in COVID cases, Kolkata has been chosen as a host city. Like that, that tells you all you need to know. Sums, sums it up, doesn't it? That was really interesting, though. Will, thank you. And um, yeah, IPL starts very soon. Um it's exciting. Let's just enjoy the cricket and let the, the BCCI and the, the the suits do what they need to do. Um, there's more news, guys. It's been a, such a busy week, hasn't it? And um, Kieran Pollard hit six sixes in and over in uh, T20s uh, against Sri Lanka. It was pretty good. He's a pretty good cricketer. Uh, poor old Dan and Jai was the bowler to receive uh, the, the, the six sixes. He did, however, take a hat trick the over before. So if you go check out that scorecard, it's well worth a little look at because there's two goldens in the middle. And then Pollard goes off. Yeah, and similarly, we mentioned the success of Jimmy Neesham. Um, I, I waxed lyrically about him last episode. Fortunately, the the next game, which was the third um, T20, he bowled an over that went for a boundary every ball and then got a golden duck when he decided to bat. So the highs and lows of cricket uh, on full display the last couple of weeks in T20. Yeah, on two sides of the world, it's, it's all kicking off. I feel vindicated for that because I went for him in the last pod. So I I was really happy when he went for loads of runs. <laughs> he did. <laughs> He's got a cute dog and you're like, nah, I don't really like it. And then that's an absolutely <laughs> awful performance. So I don't know. Well done, Zach. Um, final bit of news. And this wasn't the most interesting news to come out of the week, but Scott Borthwick has been announced as Durham's uh, captain for this year. And it reminded me of the time I bumped into him in a subway in Hove. Um, I think it was 2016. Sorry, must have been playing Sussex. Um, has anyone else had a sort of chance encounter with a cricketer, sort of a, a either famous or not that famous as Scott Borthwick potentially is? All right, so I've done some research. So so Dan posed this to us just before we started recording, and I think it was Northamptonshire. I'm going to go with that. So uh, this was uh, May 2019. Uh, just Will and I's last couple of weeks in Brighton, and I hopped over to Hove to catch the end of a, a day's county championship. It's free after 4pm, either officially or unofficially. If you sneak, what it really, you de- really depends. What 4pm? <laughs> I think I'd had, a, I'd, had a, I'd had an early shift end um, on campus. I think I was doing some <laughs> campus tours, but I, I wrapped them up pretty quick for the students. Comparing, so <laughs> yeah, you, saw, you saw Archer was coming on to bowl, and you're like, yeah, that's the line. Let's move on. <laughs> 
Um, so you'd think I was relaxing the the most out of anyone on the ground, but in fact, I, I got there at 4 p.m., had a sit down, decided I felt like an ice cream. It was a lovely sunny hove day, and there was this big old line of about five, six burly lads. And considering I brought the average age down, <laughs> sat watching it by about 50 years, I don't think there's anyone else apart from one child under the age of 60. I was pretty perplexed as to who these people were. And they were all wearing white as well, so I was even more puzzled. Uh, and a quick look up, turned out it was uh, half the North Ants team who were, who were batting at the time, getting getting their Mr. Whippies in, because why not? It's a day out for everyone. Oh, gosh, that's really tickled me. Very good, Glenn. Um, if you've had any chance encounters with famous or not famous cricketers, do get in touch. Uh, we are at Rainstoppod on Twitter, and I'd love... We'd love to hear your stories. Um, if they can beat Glenn's five North Ants players in an ice cream line, then <laughs> all for it. We'll, we'll read it out in the next pod. Right, let's get into this fourth test then, boys. Um, we've had the weekend to kind of think about it and you know work out what's happened. Once again, there was no cricket on the weekend, which really annoyed me. Like I said, I saw that, that one delivery. Um, India won by an innings and 25 runs. Um, uh, I, can't, I hate reading that one out. I hate reading an innings and by. It really annoys me. Uh, it was, I don't know, it was just a pretty boring test. I, I'm not that I'm not that enthused by anything that really happened. I think there was a period on day two where Anderson and Stokes were bowling nicely against some good batting, and there was a bit of a moment there. Uh, I was asleep, so I didn't even watch that. So, you know, that's why I'm a bit miserable about it. Um, but before we get into the post-mortem for England, we, we have to talk about India. They were fantastic again. They are... They are so good, and I, and I remember, you know, I'm annoyed that England lost, but reflecting back on what we said in, in the first part, we were talking about how good this team is. I think I mentioned the words once in a generation or something along those lines for a lot of these players, looking at that top six, looking at the bowlers coming through. And so 3-1 is a good, is, is a terrible result for England. India get the job done. Um, Will, what, what, what do you want to say about this India team? Because I've got written down that, you know, Rohit, Aksar, Pan, Ashwin, very good. A great series for all of those guys. But on the flip side, we had Kohli, Rahane, Pujara, all average in the 20s. Um, Gil didn't look that good. I know he's very early in his career. But what does this test match, and talk about specifics if you want, but the series look like for India when a group plays it amazingly, but there's, there's still some stuff to work on? I think that's definitely the right way to sum it up. And it's kind of a weird series in that, although it, it looks like a comfortable win and an excellent win on paper, I don't know if it's one where the side and the BCCI will take huge amounts of kind of confidence or arrogance going into the summer. I don't think they've overwhelmingly proven that they've got England's number and that they've got the beating of them. Um, and yeah, I think you're right to point out the negatives first. I mean, the batting really wasn't great. No one apart from Sharma and Pat made a century. Um, and the side as a whole, I think this is pretty damning. Never put on more than 400 runs in an in innings at all during the whole series, which given that we were coming into this and thinking look, if India win 3-1, that's probably because they've won a couple tosses, batted first and put on 700. <laughs> that is very much not at all the series that we ended up getting. And I think that means that the story here, sorry boys, is probably some really poor England batting and bowling and excellent India bowling. The batting was kind of sufficient to win the test, but I do think there'll be regrets from all of the individuals that you mentioned that they didn't really uh, step up to the levels that they would have expected of themselves. And I think that's probably why we saw Kohli come out after the third test and get quite a lot of stick and possibly rightfully so for saying that the pitch was good to bat on. <laughs> but I think what he was really getting at there was that that's a pitch which, although it's tricky to play on over the series as a whole, he would have expected his batsmen, including himself, to put on much better numbers than they did. So there are negatives there. Yeah, I think that's what they need to work on. I agree with that sort of there's no arrogance or there's not kind of steaming confidence coming from this team at the minute because I don't think England made them work that hard and India did what they needed to do. And they did it very well. But yeah, it wasn't like, you know, coming out of Australia, that 2-1 win, for example. It, it, would, it would never be anyway. Um, let's talk about some positives then because Rishabh Pant uh, was player of the match. Um, for me, Sharma was player of the series for, for the kind of importance of his runs and the times he got them. But let's talk about Rishabh Pant firstly. That reverse sweep off Jimmy Anderson with the new ball was, oh my gosh. Okay, I, I did say this test was a bit boring, but that's, that sort of moment, that bit of Pant ball when he was between 70 and 100 was spectacular. Um, Zach, can you believe he wasn't, you know, in that first Australia uh, test team. Um, can you believe we were, we were sort of wondering where his place was in this side? I mean, how good was he in this test match and how good was that innings and that partnership with Washington? Because like Will said, India was England was still in this game for a decent period 
until that partnership with Pan. Yeah, I mean, I, how, I mean, he, he's the first name on the team sheet now, isn't he? <laughs> like, after just a couple months where we were, you know, doubt, well, we weren't the only ones doubting him. I mean, the BCC obviously doubted him enough not to play him. But yeah, I think the the shot that well, obviously obviously the reverse sweep stood out. But earlier in the over, he came down the pitch. It was the first first over of the new ball, and he came down the pitch to Jimmy Anderson because he knew that Jimmy Anderson with the new ball puts it on a spot, and he'll put it on that spot. And you know that's why Jimmy Anderson's so good. So Pant was like, well, right, if you're going to put it on that spot, I'm going to charge down to that spot and smack you back over your head, and it worked perfectly. And it you know obviously. As soon as a batsman does that, it puts it puts anyone off their length, even if they are the great Jimmy Anderson. Oh, it was just a sight to behold, and Jimmy must have been fuming. He lo- he always looks a bit grumpy, doesn't he? But whoa, that that I bet that wound him up. Um, and yeah, I thought as well he was you know he finished with 101 off 118, but you know the first half or even three quarters of his innings was very kind of temperamental, uh, not temperamental, tempered, slow. Measured. sensible measured's a great word zach thank you for saving me there um and th- that shows his sort of maturity that he isn't just this swashbuckling wicket keeper and that he can put an innings together and when the time was right to go he did and that time took the game away from england totally and i think we all knew what the result was going to be there um glenn th- can we chat about washington sundar's batting because 96 not out he, he averaged 90 odd over the over the tour um that's with two not out so let's not get too excited but He's a very good batsman, and I'm going to pose this question to you: Is that will we ever see him play for India again in Tests? And I know this sounds daft, but I don't think he's getting in as a spinner. He's probably what fourth in line now. His batting's quite good, but he ain't going to bat in the top six. So as good as he is, and as as great as a batsman as he was, chat about his innings and his place in the India team a little bit. Well, I just want to point out for people who obviously can't see us that Will's eyes nearly bulged out of his head. They grew, they grew about. I'm the biggest Washington fan. I was here since day one, but I'm just, I'm just asking the questions here. You've been here uh, before day one. You were calling for his inclusion, Dan. You're the reason he's in the side. <laughs> I was, I was, I was patient zero. I am on the Washington Sundar fan club. Um, I, yeah, I do think he'll play again pretty soon. I mean, I think you make a good point in the sense that when Dejaja comes back. I mean, you think Patel's still going to stay as part of this team, but pitches aren't going to be as favourable for all these spinners um, on future tours away from home. So I think Sundar might actually offer a lot. I know his bowling didn't stand out as especially fantastic this series, probably because he didn't have an opportunity to find his line and length because he didn't bowl many overs. Um, His batting was so exceptional that, yeah, I think he's the kind of player that you make room for. You could say that for a lot of this team, but to be honest... Rahane hasn't scored 120 innings. Why would I? Why would I play him ahead of Washington Sundar right now? That's my question. Zach, what do you reckon? Glenn, you have taken the words out of my <laughs> mouth. In the team, I want India to play in the World Test Championship final. Not the team I think they'll play. In the team I want them to play. Washington Sundar bats at five. Rahane's out. Wow. That's, I love that. And I mean, again, for those who obviously can't see, because this is a podcast, Zach was pointing so aggressively at Glenn then for that point. He absolutely <laughs> loved it. Uh, Will, on, Will on Washington, help us out. Am I talking nonsense? Is Zach talking more nonsense for suggesting you about five? I, I want whatever you guys have been drinking. This is extraordinary. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think Sundar's been excellent. I think he needed that really tragic 96 not out, um, which was horrible to watch because he ended up you know, four runs away from a century with three wickets to go <laughs> and the three guys Brutal. at the other end managed to, managed to let him down <laughs> rapidly, which was pretty horrible to watch. But we'll, we'll, we'll call though. it basically 100. <laughs> funny for you, perhaps. I, I was crying inside. Um, but I think it was actually a really important innings for him because it, it that you're absolutely right that that slot of the kind of second spinner or number seven batsman part-time bowler overseas uh, is really competitive now. You've got Aksar, Sundar, Jadeja staking a claim. You've got get the rain stop play square Joe out. Hardik Pandya might put himself in contention mm-hmm. there if he can bowl. Uh, so I think it was really important for Sundar to remind everybody that actually he's po- arguably the best batsman of the four uh, in test conditions. And the reason that I think you're wrong to say he probably won't play again in the near future is that he's got a much more kind of stable and traditional technique and he pl- batted very well in Australia. And I think those things mean that he, even if... They don't necessarily need his bowling as much. I feel like with the bat, he's much more of an option uh, overseas than someone like Aksar Patel would be. 
I just want to point out that isn't extraordinary how many of these spinners can bat. I mean, you mentioned them all there, Will, but Ashwin, Sundar, Aksar Patel, none of them look at loss with a bat. In fact, they look magnificent at times. You think about Ashwin's 100, which probably was the potentially, arguably, the innings, one of the innings of the series, uh, probably along with, with Rohit's 100 as well. Um, and yeah, even, even Aksar Patel, guy I didn't know a huge amount until he started getting five wickets whenever he felt like it. He got he got 43, and the only reason he was out was due to an unfortunate run-out. So I think there's a lot of questions for India. It's good questions to have, mm. um, but they can all bat and bowl. It's pretty extraordinary, whereas we don't have either of those things right now. There's so much depth, isn't there? I think we said this out of the Australia series, that whenever someone went down, there was someone to come in. And India have now got you know fitness coming back, and then they could just choose all these players. It, it's a fantastic option for them, isn't it? I, I would like to point out that the only reason I... It's just someone had to go for Washington. No no offence to Rahane, but someone had to go because, like you've said, they've got so much depth, but I find it so hard for them. I, I Inevitably, I don't think he will play in that World Test Championship final, but I think it's so hard for them to drop someone who, you know, he's, he's averaging something silly. I know it's, a, you know, sample size. Don't get me, Dan. Uh, but... There's a pound in the swear jar as well. <laughs> but, and like, his bowling hasn't been great, but... In England, they're not going to need, you know, three spinners. And if they have either one spinner and him as a second spinner or two spinners, maybe, depending on where they play, and him as a third option, especially if he bats in the top six, like he's a fantastic extra option to have. Yeah, I, I just want to add that so spot on. That's what I was about to say, Zach. Like, the conditions for this World Test Championship are going to be about as far away from, from these pitches as you can get. And you're really going to need four seamers, which is really interesting, you, you, you'd think, with, with one spinner, probably an all-rounder as well. So I think, first of all, that India's pace attack is brilliant. Sharma, Siraj, and Bumrah is competitive on any surface. But it is going to completely restructure the team. Because, I mean, India were playing one, barely one-and-a-half pace, um, pace bowlers for a couple of these games. So there's not enough room for these three. There might not even be enough room for two of them. But this is where Hardik Pandya comes into his own <laughs> in English conditions, balancing this team out. I, I hope I hope to goodness he is fit for that World Test Championship final. I doubt they'll just pop him straight in there, but why not? He's Hardik. That's a double crime. That's two in the swear jar. You've got Hardik and balance in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now playing bingo as opposed to swear jar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, India were fantastic, weren't they? Uh, they did the job. Some great individual performances. I've already said that Sharma was my player of the series for India. Uh, anyone got any any different ones or, or want to kind of back that up, Will? Well, I think the, the, the official answer um, was Ashwin, which is pretty hard to argue with. Um, Sharma probably should be in there as well. I think his two batting performances in the two tests, to the, the first two tests that India won are basically what won them the series, so that's pretty hard to argue with. Uh, but I might sneakily give it to Axar Patel because I think that the real story of this, I know Dan's sad and he thinks it all, it's all I the hate. pitch. Axar Patel triggers me, man. I just, I, I can't. Know. Like, he's so good. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not, I'm not doing it. He's just like, oh, I can't describe it. I'm just angry. I think just, just on Axar, to, to give him his credit, he's only played three tests and he's got 27 wickets. That's the fourth most wickets after three games ever. And one of those three ahead of him played cricket in 1887. So I think we should, yes, obviously the pitch is a caveat, but it is a historically amazing start to a test career for him. Um, and it's not all luck as many, as much as, you know, a lot of the wickets that he got famously were from quote unquote straight balls. That's partly based on how he bowls. One, as everyone said, the way that he bowls with the pink ball to get it to skip on, but also that he bowls from such a wide angle that even if they, they're straight balls because they don't turn, it still means the angle is much harder to play for someone like Johnny Bursto than if it was literally coming at him straight. Uh, so I do think I mean, we need to give him a lot of credit. That's another of my, not my issue, and he's very good, and he's had a great start to career, but he's bowling against Johnny Bairstow. That's that's sort of the main <laughs> the main reason why his stats look so good. Zach, what did, what did you just put up on camera that I don't remember <laughs> I don't remember writing? Please tell the listeners. Uh, Dan wrote in our group chat, Axar has to be player of the series. I don't so... remember saying that. I think I was tired and angry and just a bit like overwhelmed by his general presence on the cricket fit on the cricket pitch. Well, maybe, but he has got the joint most wickets in a series by an Indian bowler ever. And that, that he was joint with someone who played in a six test series. So it's pretty good. So good. What a find as well. And imagine if he was, imagine, imagine if it wasn't Nadeem Shah in that first test. Might we be staring down at a 4 <laughs> 0? Um, so well done to India. Um, spectacular cricket from them. And is, is their next test the test match, the World Test Championship final? Are we 
is that actually it? Wow, that'll be fun then. And as Glenn said, totally different conditions for them to go and work in. And the one benefit of England losing, and we'll come on to them now, is that it didn't play Australia into that final. So we've got a wonderful final at Lords between two great test teams. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, right, let's do the post-mortem in England then, boys, because it was a pretty disastrous tour uh, after the first test, really, wasn't it? I can't believe we won that first test so convincingly. Um, only one score over 200 after the first innings of the whole tour. Um, I don't really know where to start because for me, the issue was with it, it's with the batting. I think we can all agree on that because I thought the bowlers all pretty much held themselves in good respect, perhaps apart from Don Best, and we'll come on to him. Um, so let's start with the batting. And Glenn, I want to pick up on our chat from last week about the rotation policy. I, I disagree pretty heavily with you that they, they'd got it wrong. Um, I, I still disagree, perhaps not as heavily, because I think there's a place for rotation and like doing this sensibly and playing the right players. And I've seen quite a few people over the weekend, I think Simon Hughes and Channel 4, said that England picked the team for the previous test match each time. And so they were sat there with the wrong team on two occasions. So I think rather than the rotation being the issue, it was the selection that was the issue. And But the selection is also part of the rotation is what I'm trying to get at. Glenn, give me some rotation chat. I mean, it's not been great. Their hands been forced a little bit. But my one sort of argument against the rotation policy being the main issue is that I don't think Josh Butler and his team would have won us the two test matches. So what's wrong with them being at home? Um, go from there. Yeah, no, I think you've 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 um, raised a good point there, Dan. And I think it was a great debate that we did have last week. I think it was pretty illuminating on both sides. What what I would say is I think they both fall under this broader umbrella of management, right? I think we both we the fundamentals we agree on the selection slash rotation, which are kind of uh, interwoven and interlinked. Like the, 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 together, it was a complete disaster for England from from top to bottom. Um, and then I think there's there's a couple of um, articles that I, I would really recommend. Um, one by George DeBell for ESPN, which says, blaming Johnny Bairstow for England's defeat would ignore wider context. I think that's well worth a read, just because I'm going to be referring to these in the next minute or so. And secondly, Yaz Reyna writing for Wisden says, Don Best bears the brunt of years of spin mismanagement, which I also totally agree with. So what we've got, I think, the irony is for me that this rotation policy, which in principle, probably all four of us completely agree with. You cannot keep a load of people bowling till they drop. As you mentioned before you start recording, Steve Harmison said that he would bowl until he keeled over, basically. On, exactly. On he said he'd just keep me out there until I break down, I believe he said, uh, which is a fantastic little quote. <laughs> right. So that's not quite the attitude we want for, for the other 10 players in the team and the rest of the squad. Um, but I do think the way in which they went about this was just not good. So last week we talked about Johnny Bairstow's horrendous journey, which probably undid all of the rest he managed to get at home. He comes back, he, he hasn't played in spinning conditions for a week or two, uh, and he gets three ducks out of four. Um, Don Bess, who, who actually bowled the best he has for England, arguably in that first test, got a load of great wickets to my remember. He got Kohli, Pajara, got, got wiped out the top order. Yeah. He did very well in that. He has a pretty dodgy second uh, innings in the first test. He lost his line and length. We all agree on that. But then the way it was handled, he gets dropped for two in a row, which is humiliating as a second spinner in, in India. And then he's brought back. And this is this is the issue. He's brought back in the final test with all the pressure of being a world-class frontline spinner. How does that work? This guy's 23. I think he's younger than us. Like, how does how does that work mentally for this guy to, to, to play under that pressure? So what I think is the planning was not the worst thing ever, but there was no flexibility and the way it was executed was disastrous. That's kind of my takeaway. I think you've got to blame management for that. I think I'm now with you on that. I think like the principle and the sort of sentiment behind the whole process was there and we all agree it should be in place. They just got it wrong. Like the actual organisation of it went horribly wrong. Um, Zach, what's your view on this rotation policy and England's selection? Because I mean... The batting order, eight batsmen um, down to folks at number eight. Dan Lawrence at seven, which seems to be his position. So maybe maybe we've found something there. I don't know. And then not enough seamers for this one after having too many in the last. It was such reactionary team selection. And this is what annoys yeah. me is that it's fine to lose to India 3-1. Like India, a very good team in their own backyard as well. But this team selection just seems so chaotic. They seem to have no plan, no nothing in place to just put your best team out there. And that's been the question circulating is, were England keen on putting their best teams out for this series? 
Well, I think the thing is, is, is that they, they just made mistakes. I don't think in these last two tests they've, well, apart from, you know, Butler and the, the best, I think that Glenn's just covered very well. I, I think they did mean to put their best team out for the conditions. They just did. They just completely got the conditions wrong. They thought that yeah. they thought they saw a pink ball and the under the lights and thought it was going to swing around corners, which, as we know, it didn't. And this time they picked an extra spinner because it had turned and in the previous test and it was, you know, it was it wasn't a bad. It wasn't the pitch wasn't that bad in this one. There was a few a few balls that kind of nipped back and Siraj was getting a bit of movement that kind of made everyone think, oh dear, we've we've definitely gone in a seam of light. And I kept saying to, I think I said to one of my friends at least three times during uh, India's first innings, how good would a Jofra Archer spell have been at this point? Because having that extra seamer with the pace and the like, you know, the, 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 the bit of nip Jofra could get and Jofra would have got on this pitch would have been really good and would have been really useful because Stokes just looked so tired. Or imagine even imagine even like a Mark Wood spell again, something Simon Hughes said on the end of in the reaction to Saturday's play was a Mark Hughes skiddy, slightly shorter spell of genuine fast bowling would have been awesome. And they just it's got the selection horribly wrong. Or Ollie Stone. I mean Ollie Stone played played really well in in that yeah. game. And he was so good know, in that one game he played as well. I was looking at the, the averages for the for the series and he was unbelievable with the ball. Yeah, he he did brilliantly. It was I think you're you're so spot on. I mean, I can't disagree with anything you've both just said. Like England were picking the team for the previous week's conditions for the previous game, and they just kept getting it disastrously wrong. I mean, just extreme wrong. Like bowling one spinner in a dust bowl was ludicrous, even with best out of form. That was the game. If he was going to bowl himself back into form, that was it. It was on that kind of you know hopeless pits for batsmen, and then yeah, putting so much pressure on Stokes to bowl to bowl that many overs he was he reached the point where he wasn't fit enough with a stomach bug as well and he was still and he was still being forced to bowl I feel I feel so bad for Don Best and I I think I said at the start of the first test or sorry the end of the first test there needs to be some delicate management going on here and because of what you said then that he bowled pretty poorly in that second innings and then all the worst things happen is that they pick Moeen knowing he was going to go home anyway, so they'd then lose a spinner. Didn't want to bring him back in for the third, which potentially forced their hand with the seamers. They probably, yep. again, convinced themselves of the pink ball. And then bring him back for the fourth test, where he clearly isn't in any sort of fit state to bowl. He was, he, he had no consistency. You know, full tosses followed by half trackers. And he, he's going to go back to Yorkshire now and, and do some serious bowling, I guess, hasn't he? Because uh, Jack Leach was unbelievable this series. I thought England, England's highest we could take a bye a long way, um, which I predicted, you know, huge prediction. What are the chances <laughs> a spinner takes the most wickets in India? And yeah, I just I, I just feel bad for Don Best. Are we all on the, the feel bad for Don Best train or are we all just like, you know what, mate, you're probably not good enough. Head back to county cricket. Will, you seem to be agreeing with me there. I'm kind of on the you're not good enough, mate, train. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I completely I think I'm agree. nearly there with you. Yeah, look, I agree with you and I think everybody's made really good points that the way he's been handled and the man management of the Moeen situation and the dropping and then coming back has been far from ideal and there's too much pressure on him to do a role that isn't necessarily the one he's most comfortable with. But at the end of the day, he's he was beyond poor at times in that series. He was mm-hmm. kind of un-international mm-hmm. test professional level. Um, and I saw a stat that... that um, NASA was talking about on Sky that he Don Bess has now played more first class and test games than Axel Patel has. And so the kind of, oh, he's young, he's new to the game excuses don't quite work. He's played so 12 odd tests and 50 plus first class matches now. It kind of feels like you should be a little bit more advanced than, than he is right now. Yeah, I mean, well, it's something that we've discussed on the pod multiple times. I mean, I've said when he was first thrown into the test team, that I didn't think he was necessarily good enough. Um, he did get a formal apology after that, after a, after a decent spell in Sri Lanka. But even that five foot was incredibly lucky. And most other games, he'd be getting one wicket, two wickets for 100 runs. Like, it wasn't good bowling. And again, it just speaks to this problem. And Joe Root t- talked about it quite openly after the test that just finished, that unfortunately, England do not have two spinners that are test match quality especially away from home and it just speaks to the lack of quality in the reserves something we all know and they've got to change the county the county system the way they play to encourage spinners and root said after the game that that might involve flatter pitches 
that means the seamers don't take all the wickets at the start of the game. So games don't finish in three days, which happens all the time. Try and push the days to four days and have a spell probably the evening of day three and lots of day four where spinners are bowling 20 over spells like in tandem, like 10 each, 10 each. Because otherwise, we're going to come back to Sri Lanka in India in a couple of years and it'll be the same old thing. It might not be best, but it'll be another 20-year-old, 22-year-old who isn't quite at test level and it's going to do so much more damage than it does good for them. Uh, one one issue with that is that obviously in England we have a lot of rain in our summer, yes. so it might yes. lead to a hell of a lot of draws. <laughs> is the only yes, I agree. Thing I would be worried about because you know, and also if it rains, even on day four, it still probably won't spin. That's a good point. I think it's a good point though from Glenn in in the sense of I kind of think it parallels what India got a lot of credit for doing over in the Australia series for looking at the more long term decision making behind the India A team and the whole process behind it that meant that even with so many injuries at first choice level you had all of these players Siraj and Saini etc come through and had a real clear progression from you know village to club to first class into the international system and that that's been done really consciously over the last 10 15 20 years that in the you know the whole Indian cricket organization knew they weren't producing enough quality seamers and change the entire system and now here we are and they've got bucket loads of them so it probably can be done but but they need to look at the structure underneath it that's definitely a bright point that it can be done and uh, it's good to see from india i do love at the end of a bad england series how county cricket gets like prodded and poked a little bit it, there's always a bit of something going on isn't there but i do i do agree with it in, in principle uh, just one one really random idea that we could have so lots of um lots of county players go over to australia to play grade cricket in the winter but could more not go to india and play their version of grade cricket i suppose maybe it wouldn't it might not set them up as well for the county season coming but still australian pitches are different to english pitches but i i maybe for somerset batsmen it might help for them well i I just think is it drastic enough that we really need like a specialist program for three young spinners and say listen don't worry about the county game for even maybe a uh, 18 month period what we're going to do we're going to place you in countries that play spin cricket like you said zach don't worry we'll pay it'll be like a alliance contract it'll be all be funded but don't worry about going back and playing in the rain actually focus on conditions that matter i think it takes some drastic intervention at this point because it's not happening yeah but then when they come to play for england in england and the pitch isn't spinning what's what do we do then i get it but like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this chat always happens when we play spin badly but like is it that deep maybe india are just good and we, we just need to get a couple of good batsmen in form and an off spinner who's feeling more confident like in 2012 and we'll win every now and again i think the thing is is we are probably only really a cook and a swan away from a pretty good england side here I think yeah i've good. seen a bit of that and I'm, I'm 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 with that i think one more batsman and a better off spinner to partner jack leach you don't like that so much will well, okay. I don't. I, I'm. I'm more phrasing this as a question for the for the England fans here, more so than a statement. But I was watching that last England collapse uh, in this Test match, and I and I texted my housemate. I'm sort of fed up with this lot, <laughs> looking at the Indian, looking at the England team, because it felt like if you, the only players who are really in their prime and in the best of their careers are Root and Stokes, and you can throw in Anderson in there if you if you think he's still at at the top level. Beyond that, you've either got players who are young and still inconsistent, including both openers who really should be opening alongside someone more experienced. That's not really a recipe for success if neither of them have that role. Then you've got players like Pope and Lawrence who are clearly good and promising and up and coming. But again, they're nowhere near their prime. They kind of need to, again, be batting with someone more experienced. And they've all shown massive inconsistencies in form recently. And then you get to the spinners and you've got Leach who's good, Bess who's probably not very you're not playing any seamers, basically, for the last test in India, which isn't particularly a turner. Like, looking at that 11, it's shocking. That's the dirtiest thing in the 11 there's ever yeah. been, in my opinion. It's just <laughs> nonsensical, that, that 11 players playing a cricket match together. And I don't particularly agree with the, you know, you're two, you're a cook and a swan away from success because, I mean, yes, that's true. And that would be two in prime players, which is pretty rare. But the question is, are you in a position now where that's a realistic situation to be in in two, three years time? And I'm not sure it is because you've got kind of two drastically different eras. You've got your your young and promising players and you've got your Anderson Broad era players and neither none of it kind of fits together. I think it is worth noting that if you put a prime cook and a prime swan in any team, they would yeah. be quite good. <laughs> so, exactly. you know. I like that though, Will, because I think you've got 
you know, when when it rotates to come and tour India again, Root and Stokes will be, you know, another three or four years older and still be playing, still, you know, where they'll be in their career. It's almost though we needed maybe one or two more players in their career arc where Root and Stokes were at, as opposed to, as you said, a whole batting lineup bar those two have never played there before and it looked like it, didn't it? So that that was a big problem. Maybe the timing just wasn't quite right there for it all to click. Are you saying we should recall Gary Balance because he's a similar age to Root and Stokes? I, I have seen that going around Twitter today. I've seen <laughs> I've seen Prince Harry with his finger pointing at Oprah and it said underneath it, bring back <laughs> Gary Balance. Well, I, th- I, th- well, I think that another problem is that England keep playing batsmen out of position because that was in a couple of articles I read over the last last day. Like, for example, Pope potentially Lawrence, but definitely Pope and Bairstow do not ever bat that high for their counties. And when Bairstow was doing fantastic, um, I think he was, he, he was in 2018, he was a record run scorer for a season for a wicketkeeper batsman for England. That is not long ago that he scored a stack full of runs. He was batting at six and seven. He prefers to come in, play a bit of that Butler role. And that's actually part of the issue because the selectors were so intent with, with some good reason in shoehorning Butler into the team. Butler took that spot. Bairstow was pushed up. Like, he doesn't usually play at number three or four for his county or when he's done best for England. Why are we forcing him there? Same for Pope. Pope's been elevated way above where he usually bats. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't even think Crawley is necessarily used to opening um, for his county. I think he comes in a tiny bit later. It's just there's... it's People are playing completely out of position and we're expecting them to get a stack full of runs. And just to talk about that point with... A Cook and Swan player, yes, that's a great... If they were in their prime and playing, it would be helpful. It would be some experience and like it would be a, a linchpin for the side and we wouldn't have this issue, as you said, about two openers who don't know what they're doing batting together. But in terms of realism, basically, as you said, Will, like, wh- when when is that going to happen? You cannot magic out two world-class players out of nothing. So what we've got to do is get the best out of the squad we have, which we're absolutely not doing. Uh, Crawley did about four and three in his uh, one championship game of last season. I thought he opened, but yeah, you're, you're right, Glenn. He doesn't. And the, the, it would have been really, really good for England if Lawrence had been really good at three, wouldn't it? Because it just would have solved, well, totally not agree. all the problems, but it would have solved a, a really massive problem. Three is the issue right now, isn't it? And I read a piece saying they've not got it right since Jonathan Trott um, retired. It's been that long now. And Glenn, I think you make the, I think you make the sort of key point why this England team batted so badly is no one is apart from uh, Root at four and Stokes for five quite or maybe Sibley opening because he ain't going to be anywhere else is he apart from eight if you're Shane Warne um, <laughs> so <laughs> apart from that it, it's been carnage and I think the issue is you've got there's all these young players and coming back to Will's point here it's all tying in that you know you bed someone in at six, don't you, who wants to be at three. They've probably got three players they want to bed in at the minute, but they can't all bat at six, obviously. So, what, you know, Bairstow at three was a good little plaster over a, a gaping wound for the Sri Lanka tour, and it didn't work here, did it? How do you fit Pope, Lawrence, um, Crawley, Folks, Butler into this top six or top seven? And they're all bat in a position that works for them. I think in my head now, Pope has to like go in at three and then Lawrence in at six if you want them both in. Um, I don't know if anyone's got any other solutions to that. Or maybe they just can't all play at once. Well, one more fundamental problem, Dan, is that as we saw in the tests, if we were playing a test at home in English conditions tomorrow, I imagine our four bowlers would be Anderson Broad, Archer Leach. And once again, that's four number 11s. Well, uh, so should I, should I say my team for the first New Zealand test? Then? Perfect. That's perfect, perfect timing for that. So I've gone Sibley, Burns, Crawley as our top three, just because Good. who Good. else? Unless... I'm all about that. That's nice and comforting, that top three. They might be crap, but that's, that's comforting. <laughs> unless unless Lamanby scores a thousand runs in the first six oh. games of the county <laughs> championship. I don't want him to get picked up by England. I want him to score a thousand runs, but I don't want him to get picked up by England. <laughs> he needs some time. He's young. He needs to win, win Somerset County Championship before he can go play for <laughs> Um Then Root, Stokes, Lawrence at six, because he batted well at seven. I think he deserves his place. Butler, seven. Whose podcast is this? Chris the Wokes, Chris Wokes podcast. Yes, this is some all-rounders. Like, like exactly. The, like, tail out. Or, for me, it's Wokes slash Curran, isn't it? Depending on who's, who they fancy. Yeah. Then Broad, Leach, Anderson. So no place for Archer, which is unlucky. And I think he 
you know, he'll feel a bit hard done by. He's bowled pretty well this winter, I think. But, you know, we need, we, we can't have, Archer can't bat eight. Not against no. New Zealand oh on, my a, God. You know, on a cold day in June. He's the worst no. batsman I've ever seen. Like, that's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, in test cricket anyway, I'm in sure. Test level, exactly. But no, I like that, Zach. I think we've all forgotten about Wokes and Curran a little bit because they are pretty useless in subcontinent conditions, like in the grand scheme of a, a team. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that. Only question on that team. Do we think it's realistic that Broad and Anderson play together? Yes, I think in English conditions, yeah. And I think we had this discussion last summer in that we were all like, oh, they're going to retire soon. Like, just have them while they're good. Just get, just, just run them into the ground. Do, give them the harmison. Run them until they break down. Um, but yeah, I think they play together. Uh, and unless one of them gets injured or is genuinely tired, and then we've got, you know, Archer to come in or Wood to come in for that, or Stone. And, you know, this chat's been quite nice. There, there are a few options left for England here, um, especially at home. I just think with the current setup with the squad, I think we saw it in Sri Lanka a little bit, but Sri Lanka weren't obviously as good as India. We don't quite have the right players in the right form at the minute to to kind of compete at that level. So maybe the next three-year cycle might bring that. You know what we could really do? We could really do with two or three top-order batsmen and a spinner and maybe another pace bowler just being really good in the county championship (laughs) in the next couple of years. I think that, if we had that, just five new players just come out of nowhere and are suddenly amazing, it would be quite good. Yes, love that take. And I think we've solved it, Zach. Rainstock play has solved English cricket. Um, We haven't had your Jack Leach start of the week yet, Zach. And I wanted to talk about him because what I have loved from this, this, this both of these tours, excuse me, is how good he's been and how great he's going to be for the next couple of years as England's number one spinner at home. You know, not doing what he's doing in the subcontinent, but con- controlling, chipping in here and there and being uh, a wonderful batsman at that. So, yeah, my Jack Leach stat is, is kind of a Jack Leach stat. It is a Jack Leach stat, but it isn't at the same time. So, Cheteshwar Pujara had got out five times to slow left arm until January 2021. Since then, he has got out four times. And Jack Leach did have a number on him this tour, didn't he? It kind of it is. It shows how well. I think that on its own shows how well Jack Leach did. And I feel like it's it's gone a little bit under the radar, maybe because England was so poor in general. But I think he bowled really well and... You know, like you said, I'm looking forward to seeing him hopefully, you know, actually playing some test cricket for England this summer. It will be a bit disappointing for Somerset because, you know, we kind of need him. But, you know, it'd, it'd be good to see him play for England. One more, as, a, as you wrap up this England chat, boys, what I want to talk about is what they prioritise and what the ECB prioritise versus what fans want prioritised. So a lot of, I, I always hear people, talk sport people, perhaps say, test should always be number one and that's why they're a bit miffed that it doesn't feel like it's being prioritized at the minute especially because chris silverwood came out and said this weekend that uh they could they were able to play their full ipl yeah he hates his cricket <laughs> and wants it to die <laughs> that you know god forbid england, england players play their whole ipl contract out what, what a terrible idea that is you know he said that and there might be rotation for the ashes as well what do you boys as england fans see as the right prioritization in my head i'm perfectly happy with the world t20 being number one i'd love us to win the world cup over not over an ashes in australia but definitely over an india series um i'd rather see us lift an icc event so what do you guys think about what should be prioritized because they've got to try and manage this I think it, I don't, I, I I don't know if it comes down, I don't think it should come down to what we would like to win the most, because obviously what we'd like to win the most, we'd like to win them all. I think it's what we're most likely to have a chance of winning. Although England did win the first test in this series, we, none of us thought we had a chance of winning it at the start and we were proved right. You know, maybe we might think we have an outside chance in Australia. We certainly would have, would feel like we have, we I'm not saying we have a chance, but we feel like we'd have more of a chance than we did in India. So that, you know, hence why it comes above it. And then also, I think then we even have more of a chance of winning the T20 World Cup because we are we are the top T20 nation in the world. Or we certainly were very recently until the South Africa debacle. But uh, but yeah, so we are most likely out of those three to win the World T20. Hence, I feel like we should prioritise at the highest. I think that's a really good point, uh, and I, I've got to agree with you. I just think, you know, not to, not to rehash conversations we've already had, but I think the way we went about this was just was just the issue because I, I still think we can still prioritize the T20 World Cup. 
without having to play a full team for five games like in the in the T20Is against India to come because we have the IPL on the horizon. It's I would always I would even agree with you even more, Zach, if the World Cup was um, in New Zealand or a place with slightly different conditions. But the fact that it is where it is, our T20 players, who are some of the best in the world, we're very lucky to have an excellent T20 lineup. They will be playing their trade in the IPL. They know what they're doing. I feel like it, it is one of those sports where even if you're out of form, we've seen it with Finch over these um, over this series against New Zealand, that even if you're not in the best of form, you usually manage to play yourself out of it, especially as a batsman. One mammoth score, you're back in business. So I just think, yes, I, I, I completely agree with your prioritization. I think World Cup, Ashes, India is correct. But I still don't think we needed that full team for these for these matches over the next week or two. I think that was just slightly too extreme a swing towards the T20 World Cup. I agree with that. And I think there's kind of two issues there at the same time. One being optimization of your team going into three different competitions and what you most want to win and how you get that balance right. And I think one point that I just throw into the mix there is that I think this is particularly concerning in the light of those comments about maybe rotation has to happen for the Ashes and maybe it has to happen throughout the whole period. Because I think England could well end up in a situation where they've gone into none of those three things with their top team in the best nick and the best health. Yeah. End up, you know, if, if you don't win a World Cup, which is, you know, as we saw in the last 50 of the World Cup, England were probably by far the best team on paper still needed all sorts of chaos to end up winning things like World Cup. I don't know what you're on about, Will. I don't know what you're on about. You won that World Cup. It was a perfectly normal afternoon of, of ODI. My point only being that, you know, World Cups are weird. You don't necessarily win them, even if you've got a good chance of them. So you can't bank on that. You could well end up in a situation where you, if you don't win a World Cup and you get battered in the ashes and you've lost this 3-1, yeah. then fingers really start getting pointed where you say right. you've gone none to none of those with the best team because of the rotation policy and you've ended up winning nothing. The second point that I'd make quickly on that is that I think there's been a real disconnect and an organizational failure in terms of linking together the planning of series with the strategic planning from selection of what's your team and how can we balance it for the long term with selection on a day-to-day -day between tests. So the great example of you know that lower level being sending Moeen home at just the same time as you want him because Beth has been terrible. Um, but at the top level being, okay, we all take the point that players can't be in bubbles for this many months on end. But then did you need to organize the South Africa series when you did? Could you have given a bubble off? You know, they've got this really packed schedule for this year, but that's because that's the schedule you've decided. You know, you could even, it sounds you know a bit more outlandish, but you could even have tried to reorganize the Ashes series and kick that by a month or two. Like there, there are options there, which I feel like haven't been considered at the top level, which have been made more for business and financial reasons to get those tours going. And then you've got the selection issues. And then you've got the issue about not being flexible enough day to day with getting players rest periods in the times that they actually should be away for the good of the team. Definitely, and just two really, really quick points on that. It was bizarre that we had players warming up for the India series in Sri Lanka, playing well, then going home and missing the India series. That doesn't make sense. And also, Will, the only thing I forgot to mention, you said it, because of the manner of our losses in the in, in, in the end of the, this series, it almost puts a bit more pressure on us to get positive results in the World Cup, which you cannot guarantee. Anything can happen. T20, obviously, shortest format of the game. Like, two overs could keep you, could mean you win or you go out in the group stage. Like, crazy things have happened. And then Australia, yeah, I still don't expect us to win there. I think we'll probably still get battered. But there is more pressure on us to, to get a really good result. So I think you're absolutely spot on it. It's just it's just felt a little bit a little bit lackluster a lot of this planning. I lo I love both of these points. I and I thought a bit a bit slightly today. Like, what if we just win none of these things that we're trying to prioritize this year? We've gone one, two, three on Worlds, Ashes, India. What if we lose all of them and we've gone into them all at like eighty percent instead of I don't know two at ninety five percent and one at I don't know how this works. I'm just saying random numbers now. But <laughs> I love the idea that we win none of these and then what's this all been for? You know and you've not put the, the full team out at any point. And what are we as England fans supposed to enjoy then? You know, we're, we're watching half a team go out all the time and then we still win nothing. Well, one question I have is, so I know it was mentioned about them maybe having rotation throughout the Ashes. Has there ever been mention of rotation playing during the T20 World Cup? Because I feel like we are going to go in with a full team for that. So, you know, you yeah, said about that's, 80%. That's, that's going to be that's going to be full on, isn't it? That'll, that'll be mm. the full squad. But, you know, I think Will said, like, will they be quite ready? Will, they, will their rest mm. period have been enough? Will they be too tired from X, Y, or Z? Um, but that seems to be the one they're going for the 100% on. Um, but you're right. It's, it's just a packed schedule, isn't it? And I, I thought this was fascinating about how England have handled it. And 
you know, trying to compare it against different nations. I don't know what you think about how India are handling it, Will, but it seems there's never any chat about this. They're still in the bubble. Granted, they're at home. But, you know, when England were at home, there was a lot of rotation going on because bubble life is just that, you know, difficult. So I don't know what, how you think, you know, comparing India to England or if anyone wants to bring in any any other of the international setups on how they're handling it. Is it just that we're, we, we're England fans so we see what's happening or is this happening across world cricket? I completely agree. And I think, you know, by comparison to the England chat, at least, India have handled it fantastically well. I think they do obviously benefit from two things. One, as we've dis- discussed, a much better strength in depth. And two, that their three biggest things this year being, you know, the England series in India, the World Cup and the IPL are all in India. <laughs> that obviously helps them from a bubble perspective. Um, but at the same time, they they obviously also benefit from kind of the seasonal timing of it and, and the fact that they can give themselves a little break over that kind of early English summer period. Um, but it does feel like as much as we want to be sensitive to the bubble situation and we understand the need for rest breaks it does kind of feel like as i said before england have slightly made this problem for themselves in the sense that it's just not as big a discussion topic for india obviously with the caveats that i said but they've also just got a much more sensible schedule on paper and that's something that is decided partly by the england cricket authority so one really obvious example of that is you could just fiddle with this series so we've got four tests then for some reason, five T20s, which no one on God's earth wants or needs. Then you've got <laughs> ODIs immediately afterwards. So if you're concerned about schedule, you could have, for example, forgotten about the ODIs, which are pointless. Then do the T20s first, as Zach Shaking said. You could have done three or four T20s, then do the test series. And then people like Butler and Archer could have played the T20s, played the first one, two, three tests, and then gone home and got a rest period before the IPL. That would have been a really easy tweak that would have just made life a lot easier. Um, I'm sorry, but have you just has everyone just forgotten about the World Cup Super League that we need to? I suppose India are hosting the next World Cup, so from an Indian perspective, those ODIs don't matter. From an English perspective, they matter. We need to win them. Hence, why they're more important Full than this test time. series, and they're more time. important than the Ashes in Australia because we have. <laughs> to Otherwise, we might not be at the next World Cup. And then, how's that World Cup preview pod going to be? <laughs> so so much so that we we need to play all the test players in those ODI teams as well. Mm. So Sibley needs to run out, Burns needs to run out. Let's just run these guys into the ground for these really important little tournaments. India hosting that again as well. That's that's handy, isn't it, Will? Hmm. Lots of hosting <laughs> going on over there, isn't there? They're all relaxed and seeing their wives and children and winning everything. Um, right, this is descending into chaos. I think we should wrap it up about there, boys. But um, fascinating chat. Actually, no, actually, no. Let's. Can we very briefly look to the 2020 and ODI series? Um, I've not even thought about it, to be honest. My brain's in test mode, uh, test mode, test gear. As you can see, my brain is malfunctioning, so I don't really know what's going on. But I'm not that bothered about these. Obviously, the T20s would be fun to look at in the context of the World Cup. Has anybody got anything interesting to say about either series? I personally haven't. It's a big series and a big couple of months for Doug Milan. Him, it, this will, I feel like this will decide how his England T20i career goes these next couple of months because if he fails in this and then fails in the IPL, well, even if he fails in either, there's going because there's lots of questions about his, his pace in his batting and he wasn't very good in the big bash after being, you know, pretty fantastic for England for well, however long he's been playing T20 ice for England, which isn't that long. So this is going to be a big test for him in the conditions that, you know, we're building towards this T20 World Cup, like we've said. So big test for him. Keep an eye out for that. I only care because we might get pant ball and hardick ball at the same time, uh, which is which is incredibly exciting and fun. But even I don't need to see that five times in the space of a week. No one needs that. For, for some reason, international white ball games outside of World Cups just feel so B-team and budget to me. I struggle to get excited for them, but... I think I'm with you on that. I think the South Africa series, it, don't get me wrong, I enjoy cricket on the telly. It keeps, you know, me occupied. But like, yeah, I'm not like that heartbroken as I am in a test match, as you, as you might have heard on the last on the last pod. But yeah, I agree, Will. And Dan did say just before he recorded this podcast that he's going to take some time off work to watch that series. <laughs> yeah, so I did. It's just about staying occupied. I'm counting down to the golf course is open. So it's three weeks today. <laughs> So if I take a week of holiday, sit and watch those, what is it, five T20s in, in one hour or whatever it is, and then, you know, time will have passed quicker. But yeah, that's coming up. The first T20 starts on Friday. Are they all in Ahmedabad in the stadium we shan't name? Yes. And then the ODIs start at some point after that. 
all in Pune at the state. I don't I don't even know the state name in Pune. Anyway, everyone's nodding back at me. I forget this this is a podcast. Yes to what I both said for listeners. Um we must wrap it up now. Uh thank you so much for listening. Um as I said earlier, uh, we're on Twitter at rains.pod. We're now on Instagram. I don't know what the at is for that. I'll I'll put it in the I'll put it in the thing. Um, and don't forget to visit our website as well at oh for God's sake. Man, <laughs> so <bad. laughs> You're putting it in. You're editing it in. Oh, I don't know why I tried doing that. I don't know why I put that in. It's just something yeah. like feels wrap upish, isn't it? Right, we, we must wrap up there. Uh, it's been a wonderful pod, boys. Very interesting. Lots of you know big questions in in capital letters there. Uh, hopefully answered. Um, we'll see you. Well, we'll do another one after the T20 series. That'll be fun. As we just said, we're all very excited for that. So. Um, thank you very much for listening. Glenn, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Will, thank you. Thank you very much. And finally, Zach, thank you very much. Thank you, Zach. And thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.